Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 86. This week, our two-year anniversary. We're talking brand new games such as Discoveries and Arcadia Quest Beyond the Grave. to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome, everyone. So glad to have you join us here for our second year anniversary. Happy birthday to it. That's actually copyrighted, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Happy, happy birthday. Happy, happy 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 birthday. birthday. (laughs) Happy, happy birthday from the BGA gang. Happy, happy. Okay, whatever. Yeah, you get it. We're two. (laughs) I probably dragged that out a little long. Sorry. Yes, it's been two years of BGA podcasting out to the world, and we are so glad that you've joined us for these last two years, and we're going to talk about everything that's gone on over this last two years, our favorite games, our favorite episodes, what we're looking to do in the future, and what we've done this past year, and especially having you at the table. So we had a couple of announcements, and we'll let you know what BGA's been doing and what we're going to be doing in the future. Hey, Drew, why don't you start us off? Me? Oh, what are we doing? You know what, guys? I can remember last summer, around the time of our first year anniversary, I was talking with you guys about wanting to do a spinoff podcast. Think I can do a spinoff radio show. Since I moved to Bennington, Vermont, we have a local radio station, publicly supported, and they're looking for hosts, volunteer hosts, so... I've been working with them to put a radio show up uh, starting in November. So what I'm going to do is every week I'm going to post a blog article about developing the show, how it's coming along, and I'll have my first one up uh, tonight. So uh, you guys can take the journey with me. It's exciting. It's called On the Table. You're going to lay it all out there? Yeah. On the table? On the table. It's not all that clever, but hey. you know, I mean, there's some differences between a radio show and a podcast, and that's what I'm writing about in the blog. So listeners out there, let me know what you'd like to hear from us in terms of a radio show. We're growing for our third year. That's exciting. And Anthony, how about you? Anything, I don't know, new in your life? Um, yeah, I think last week you guys mentioned that I was lost in transit. And I actually was more or less lost in transit. We made the big move from New York to Pittsburgh last week, I think. I don't know. You lose track of time on these things. Um, But I am finally settled. Uh, These guys can attest to the new gaming shelves I have here in my lovely office. Um, So it's official now that I I have a problem. (laughs) And I had to buy new shelves to house the the problem. So it's, it's awesome, actually. Still getting to know the city, but... I am a good eight-minute walk away from the local game store here and the game the, the game night that they have across the street from there. So I'm pretty excited about that, especially after you know the last year or so of not having a game store within shouting distance. So, What's the name of your uh, new friendly local game store, Anthony? You want to give them a shout-out? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in there a couple times. The name of the store is Games Unlimited. I know they've been around for a long time. They have a nice selection, actually. I found a, a handful of out of print games there that I uh, have not seen elsewhere. So, um, including some Euros that uh, we actually played with uh, Dave not too long ago. They had a copy of the Speaker Stat. 
um, Imperial, a couple others there that I have not seen in stores before. So at least you chose wisely when you were running out of space. You didn't shrink your collection. You expanded your storage space. Yeah, well, that's what you do. I know. Right, right? <laughs> guys? Right, right Daniel? Yes. Daniel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know, that's that's... Even so much so as to move to another city to expand your storage space, right? That's really what grew you there. Uh, you know, I, I'm going through a similar uh, instance here. I picked up some new shelves, too. Anthony picked up what I think is the standard, which is the Kallax from Ikea right now. Like, that's the, like, I think, like, I think that's what Vassal uses. It's like the board game standard. I picked up some Walmart Better Homes and Garden 8-Cube Organizers, uh, which are sort of... If this is possible, a knockoff of the IKEA. Uh, it's a little bit cheaper. I like them a lot, actually. They've got a good thick wood around it. Well, not wood, wood, but you know, pseudo wood around the side of the structure. Pretty sturdy, and uh, yeah, I've got just enough room to buy like for the games I've already bought to come in, essentially. And then I need a new shelf already. It, yeah, it's it's a problem. All right, so our collections are expanding. Our storage is expanding. Now, let us help you expand your collection with this week's episode. Shout it from the tabletops! <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. Paizo has been hoping to launch their popular Pathfinder game into the digital world, so they handed this off to a company that was created just for that purpose, Goblin Works, to develop and nurture an MMO and to get millions of people playing Pathfinder online and on their apps. They had a successful Kickstarter, over a million dollars, designed to bring it to open enrollment. Funny thing happened along the way. Almost overnight, the company was gutted. They're down to three employees, and those employees are primarily primarily tasked with finding a company to take over the the work. So there's still no open enrollment. Um, They said they're 75% short of what they need to get that far. The good news in all of this is they're still trying to fulfill as many rewards as possible. Goblin Works is pretty much done as a company, but they're trying to to do right by the people who supported them. And they're still looking for a way to bring Pathfinder into the uh, digital world through an MMO. Can pure RPGs survive in digital form? Is that really a viable option, turning them into MMOs? Sure. Why not? I mean, that's what most... I mean, these things are just pure RPGs with a digital system, right? And there's things like Neverwinter was pretty popular, and D&D's got its new one coming up now. The big mistake is thinking that you could make an MMO for a million dollars. That's way too little money to compete Really? With a, yeah. How much do they need? AAA titles are multi-million dollar investments at the beginning, and millions of dollars every year in maintenance and... Yeah, that's just not going to... Let's see, how much does it make to... I'll look it up. You think they they just set their sights way too low? They just didn't have a realistic expectation of what it would cost to succeed. This was a company that just was created just for this one purpose, so they're the only ones going down the tubes. Yeah, so Toontown, guttered like a little kid's MMO that was not very good, was $18 million for Toontown Online. City of Heroes cost $7 million to produce, and then $18 million for annual marketing, maintenance, and support costs. World of Warcraft, the cost of the four years of post-launch upkeep on the blockbuster MMO was $200 million. Oh, my G- word. Guild wow. Wars, between $20 and $30 million to be developed. 
there's just no way you can expect to compete with these guys with a million dollars in your pocket. That's wow. just, that's nothing. Oh, man. Okay, see, I, I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah. But they, that was pretty short-sighted of them. Well, you know, <sighs> you've seen the producers, right? Yeah. You know the whole idea of you can make more money with a flop? Oh, I mean, if you wanted, I just said I try not to cast aspersions on people's motivations. No, 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 no. If you wanted to make a salary and not have to do much work, taking up a task that is guaranteed to fail, yeah, you know. Oh, man. Uh, well, they, they, but they haven't shuttered completely. They're, they're going to try and find someone to hand this off to. I wish them good luck. Pathfinder is a good, a good property. I just hope they can figure out a way to, to turn it digital, turn it into an MMO. All right, so that's what we had to tell you. But this week, what we also wanted to talk about is what you had to tell us. So recently, with the Cool Stuffing Contest, our first opportunity to enter was a BGA survey. And this week, Anthony has the results back. Anthony? Hey, yeah, so you guys were awesome. We got a ton of responses. We had over 400-some-odd entries. It was really, really awesome. We got a lot of information, but most importantly, we were able to interact with all of you and hear some really cool things about, like, what you like to listen to and what your favorite parts of the show are and what you want to see us do next. So it's awesome to hear what you guys think in terms of what we're doing and what we should be doing next. So just some of the questions that we asked. We asked what types of games you want to hear us talk about. Not a huge surprise, but a little interesting to hear that the the number one type of game that people are interested in is Euro games. Um, uh-huh. A close second was Americlash. So... I, I think we expected it to be more on the uh, the middleweight Americlash uh, end of things, but uh, a lot of Euro gamers out there, which is awesome because that's you know that's what we are too, uh, most of us anyways. The length of time that you've been addicted to tabletop games. This was an interesting question as well. It was pretty evenly spread out. The majority of you chose somewhere between one and two, two and five, or five and fifteen years. And it seems like the sweet spot is about two to five years, which is about how long I've been into the hobby. I think it's about how long, uh, Daniel, you've been into the hobby, at least in terms of this current iteration. So about half of us, which is about the same as you guys. So it's awesome, but it's not even like that was a third of the respondents. It wasn't even, there's a lot of people out there who've been playing games for 15 plus years across the spectrum, which is awesome to hear. Where you want to hear us talk about gaming, this was an interesting one as well. Not surprised to hear that the majority of you are on Board Game Geek, of course. That's where we all hang out. We want to put a lot more energy and effort into our board game geek guild and make sure that we have some cool information and stuff on there to talk about and we strongly encourage you to join that guild and interact with us there as well um, if that's the case you know that you are on that site every day which you probably are because you want to buy all those games like we do but also facebook you know we, we post to facebook just about every day so there's all sorts of stuff on there you can reply to website comments we're going to try to keep the website as active as possible these days, there is at least one post a week when we put up the new episode, but we're also going to be putting up new blog posts. One awesome thing that I'm going to be doing here probably tomorrow, so before this episode comes out, is I'm going to be launching a mailing list on the website. There will be a big red button on the sidebar, on the right sidebar. It'll say subscribe to mailing list, or you can go to join.boardgamersanonymous.com slash subscribe, and that will allow you to um, hop on our mailing list, and we'll send out every week kind of a 
a summary of what we've been doing. So the new episode, any blog posts that came out, any games we've been playing, kind of just consolidating all the cool stuff we do into one weekly email just for our subscribers. And then if, you know, in the future, new contests, new opportunities that do come up, you would get first crack at those as part of that email list. So if you are a listener, an avid listener, if you're a fan, if you filled out this survey, uh, strongly encourage you to hop on over there and fill that out because we're going to have a lot more information about what we're doing uh, along the lines of you know what we have here in the survey, but also all the other cool ideas that we have coming down the pike. Last couple of questions here on the survey that we I was very interested to hear the answer to, and there was no right or wrong answer on any of this, but it was just interesting to hear what people like about the show. You know, It helps us kind of decide... Uh, what we're going to do week to week. Favorite regular segments? I think we can say without a doubt that our job as a podcast is to help you guys buy more games. <laughs> um, number one yeah. segment was Acquisition Disorder Corner, and number two was At the Table, and then number three was Feature Segments, and the top feature segment was If you like these games, try these other games. So our ideal episode apparently is just telling you at least a dozen games to go by. <laughs> um, glad to do it, it, guys. We will continue to do so. It just so happens to be one of those features we really enjoy getting into. It's a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, I, I stumble across stuff all the time, actually, that you know, one of you guys will mention that maybe I haven't played yet that's based on a game I like. So it's a fun segment. I know a lot of people have said in the past they like it, so we try to do it about every month or so now. Um, and we'll continue to do that because it is definitely very popular. So suggest a game, people. If there's a game you really love and you, you like certain features about it, propose it to us and we'll, we'll explore it for you. We'll tell you what else to check out. Absolutely. Yeah, and one other thing that we had here on the, the survey that I thought was awesome is, you know, I asked you guys what your favorite board game was and what about it you think is worth talking about. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting here looking at about 250 responses to that question, lots and lots and lots of stuff in here to draw from, you know, for that particular segment, but in general for what we're doing as the cast. Really appreciate the in-depth answers and the, at times, very vociferous defenses of the games you like. <laughs> it's fascinating to read, to you know, because a lot of the comments did make me look at these games in different ways. And I realized, yeah, that, that, that you know, that is a good game for that particular reason, so... Yeah, I love hearing from uh, from the listeners. And I think that's the really interesting thing about people's responses and the segment that we do. If you like these games, you should try out these games, is that it would seem on the surface that everyone likes a particular game for the same reason. But when you really ask people, there's a lot of reasons why they like that game. Or they come at it from a different angle or a different mechanic or maybe it's the theme. So there's just so much diversity to the gaming industry and to our fandom of games. And it's just so interesting about how so many different people can come to the table and look at one game and have so many different feelings about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of these answers were, you know, a lot of these games I like a lot, and there was very different takes on the reasons why people like them. And I, that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's one of the reasons I love this hobby so much is that you go to a game store, you go to an event, you sit down with four strangers and you play a game and you, know, you all have a great time together, but you all love that game for very different reasons. And when you go back and tell everybody else in your lives why you like that game, you probably have a different story. When you guys listen to our podcast, you're hearing our stories about these games and we want to hear your stories, too. So that was one of the cool things about the survey. A lot of you reach out to me via email or Facebook or Twitter, whatever it is that you 
you know, connect with us on to tell other stories about the games you're playing. And that's awesome too. So if you're playing a game that we already talked about, I want to hear about it because it's sometimes we haven't thought about a game in a certain way. And sometimes, sometimes your stories trigger new ideas for segments or features or whatever it ends up being. And the only way we're going to, you know, come across those things is if you, if you reach out to us. So Everybody who filled out the survey, thank you for doing so. Thank you for giving us this awesome information. We'll probably be delving a little bit more into it in the future, uh, especially as we start filling out editorial calendar for the next few months, doing new If You Like segments, and you'll be hearing a little bit more about it. But for now, just wanted to kind of give you a brief overview of what everybody said and you know what we're going to take from that and kind of what you can expect from the podcast in the future based on that. All right, so with that said, let's get on to everyone's favorite segment, our Acquisition Disorders. And now, our Acquisition Disorders. Acquisition Disorders? That's crazy! Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game and the expansion and the promos and, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. So my Acquisition Disorder much, for this week is a Kickstarter game called Gloomhaven by Isaac Childs. Uh... For those of you who don't recognize that name, this is the, uh, the same mind that produced Forge Wars, which was a very well-received game, and it's one of those ones that very few people heard of while the campaign was going on, and then lots of people heard of and then immediately regretted not backing once they saw how great it turned out. Uh, and Gloomhaven looks to be an, another one of these fantastic games from the same designer. Uh, it's a... A board game that is it's got co- a cooperative, card-driven tactical combat in a persistent, ever-changing campaign world. It plays one to four players in 30 minutes per player. Yeah, I'm, I'm just reading their little spiel. But uh, one of the big words that just keeps coming up when they describe this game is persistent. They throw that, that, I think it shows up like three or four times on the page, yeah. Which is not surprising because what they're trying to push for is the understanding that it's effectively a legacy game in a lot of ways. But it's a legacy game coupled with a deeper campaign mechanic. So a campaign mechanic kind of like you see in Arcadia Quest or in Mice and Mystics, though more customizable than Mice and Mystics, where as you gain power, you can gather new relics to you, gain new abilities, even alter the shape of the world so that it helps you in the future. And on top of that, you have these legacy mechanics where things like, okay, well, you've slain the Necromancer. Well... I hope you weren't planning on doing a job for him because he's dead. So all the places on the board where you might have gone to work for the Necromancer, right? All of those options are closed now. Uh, And it's like legacy games typically are. You're supposed to sort of mark up your board and mark up your copy. I'm going to be honest. I'm probably going to go with a legal pad on the side because... I'm just that kind of guy. Marking on a board makes me cringe deep, deep in my soul. Uh, But the play for this game looks fantastic. There's a whole bunch of different hero classes with different sorts of powers. They can gain new powers as they level up and new uh, equipment. The town can become more or less prosperous. You can gain or lose reputation as individuals or as a group. Uh, And there's hundreds of things to be done in this game it is one of the most exciting games i've seen in a long time on kickstarter uh because of the kind of kickstarter backer i am i'm i'm kind of a sniper i do the whole lean back watch as it goes 
and only jump in once I've gotten a good picture of where the game is going long run. Though I'm already considering jumping on a Gloomhaven Haven, even though they've got 24 days left, which should be an indicator of quality uh, for, for those of you who know what it's like to be a sniper. Uh, Anthony, however, saw me write Gloomhaven on the spreadsheet for our editorial calendar and jumped in and already backed it before I did, (laughs) uh, having never seen it before I brought it up. And I feel kind of like I got scooped there, but it's okay. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. The sniper has been sniped. I had filled out the survey for the show. <laughs> you can imagine what my top segment would be. Actually, maybe it wouldn't be because I spend all my money. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was funny because I saw that and I'm like, oh, that name sounds depressing because it just has the word gloom in it. I don't, I don't know anything about it. And then I clicked on it because you know, doing my research for the show, and I started reading, and I was like, oh, it's the Forge Wars guy. Okay, and then watched the video, and I was like, huh, yeah, okay, I'm good. And then miniatures, so it was. <laughs> And really nice-looking miniatures and nice-looking art in general. Very distinct, but also very attractive. Yeah. It's a solo game with miniatures. I'm done. I'm in. Oh, and they're incredibly responsive in their comments, too. So, And they, they're at the point where they're taking a lot of uh, backer ideas very seriously. And they've been responsive with things like fonts and layouts. And you can see that the product has been evolving and improving already. And it was already pretty darn awesome. So it, it looks like it's going to be an absolutely amazing game. It might be a must-buy. Or so I, I would take a, a must-back, I guess. So take a look at Gloomhaven on Kickstarter. Another legacy game coming out that you may or may not have heard of. I don't know if you've heard of it. You might not have heard of it. But if they it's, did hear about it, it was from us, right? You would have heard about it from us. Yeah, we actually posted the uh, trailer that launched for Pandemic Legacy from Z-Man last week on the website. So if you haven't seen it yet, head over to the website and watch the trailer. It's the first actual look at the game board and components. Um, it's a little hyper-stylized, but you can see what's inside the box, which if you've been following this game at all, you know that has not happened yet. Even some of the top you know, podcasters and video casters in the board game industry have not seen what's in this box yet. They're keeping it very tightly under wraps, um, which... I don't know if it's because the game wasn't done or if they're just trying to make build up this hype, but it's working. I'm like super hyped right now for Pandemic Legacy. I love the idea of a Legacy game. I did never actually got a chance to play Risk Legacy, so I don't know why I'm so hyped for the idea of a Legacy game, but I really am. And Pandemic is perfect. I love the idea for the seasons that they're introducing. I love the concepts of, really the concept in general of a Pandemic game with a Legacy mechanic because you are consistently fighting against this ongoing threat. It doesn't end. That's one thing about Pandemic, the game itself, is that you'd lose most of the time, but occasionally you win, and neither really feels like something that would actually happen in a worldwide pandemic. You would either prolong and hopefully improve the lives of the people either not yet affected or hopefully surviving the pandemic, or you would slowly... Chip, it would slowly chip away at your health um, over the course of many months. The legacy mechanic makes it so you can kind of feel that long, drawn-out process of a pandemic and the sheer volume of human energy that would need to go into fighting it. I find that very fascinating. I'm interested to see how it works. Rob Davio, I don't know how his mind 
can actually grasp all these things and build something this complicated. But I mean, it takes a while, obviously they've been working on it for a while. So this is a game that's at the top of my list here for the end of the year. We've talked about it two or three times already. I'm putting it on here again because I've now seen what it looks like inside. And I know that I'm going to be playing it at some point between now and Christmas. So if you like pandemic at all, if you like risk legacy, if you like any other story based uh, campaign style games, uh, this is something to keep an eye on. I just think we're seeing a really big surge in campaign-style games. The legacy type of game is just one part of that. More and more games, whether it's Mice and Mystics or, or what have you, are building long-term replayability where you're not just going back over the same steps, but you're continuing a story, moving it forward. Uh, it seems like people want that. It keeps people hooked to a particular game. I'd love to see it, whether it's a legacy game or any other kind of campaign. I'm really getting more interested in these things, too. Yeah, I mean, from the survey results that we got, actually, over the last month, the top games that people said they liked, you know, when we said, what are your favorite games, were campaign games. Mm. Mice and Mystics, Imperial Assault had a huge following here in the last year. Um, And I think probably a lot of that's just because it's something you can invest in over the course of many weeks months whatever it happens to be with a group of like people it's a shared experience and uh that makes it it takes it from being a game to being an experience and i I think pandemic legacy is going to capture that really well cool grew up playing stratomatic baseball and that's what that is that's a campaign sure you're building a team you're playing over a season and then you're keeping that team together and playing it the next season it was fun we loved it campaigns are awesome let's have more the one thing that could probably outdo a global pandemic as far as world destruction is concerned would be the kraken so my acquisition disorder this week would be Abyss Kraken. This is an expansion for Abyss, the Bruna Cathala Charles Chevrolet game that's about this underwater Atlantis-like kingdom with these outrageous sea creatures, something you've really never seen before. Javier Coalette has done an outstanding job. He is my favorite board game artist out there. Abyss won the Dice Tower Network's best artwork for 2014 into the 2015 it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it's evocative, it's it's something you've never seen before. Now, Kraken does something a little different, and in a way it reminds me of Lords of Waterdeep, the Skullport expansion, because in Kraken, what you're using are black pearls. These are money in the game, but it's money stained with blood, because these are from like the real darkest, evilest creatures, and when you use these black pearls you get an extra boost but towards the end of the game it's actually going to work against you it's going to cause a horrific fate very similar to the mechanic that's used in Skullport. so you're gonna get new allies you're gonna get the black pearls new lords and new locations but i'm really hoping that this expansion really opens up abyss this is a game i'm looking forward to picking up as soon as possible because right now this is a little light and i'm hoping that kraken really brings a lot of different things to the table so chris when when will they release the kraken 2015 drew (laughs) release the kraken 
That's that's see that's the one thing I'm sad about not going to Essen for because if I was there and I came over to the booth and, and everyone was lined up, be like, release the Kraken! I'll and take a copy. Like, oh God, this is like the thirtieth time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <This> damn Americans. <laughs> oh man, it's the best part. <laughs> All right, so that's our acquisition disorders this week. And now, At the Table with BGA. So for At the Table this week, we're going to talk about two brand new games that just recently hit our tables. And we're going to let you know if you should buy these games, maybe just play these games, absolutely dodge these games. And every once in a while, you should burn these games. So let's get started. Anthony, what's our first game hitting the table? Okay, so the game that we got to the table uh, about a, two weeks ago before I went on my cross-northeast state trip, whatever it is, um, <laughs> actually could have been along the, uh, the trail here, not quite that far west, is Discoveries, also known as, not officially, but in my mind, as Lewis and Clark, the dice game. The Discoveries is... Very similar to Lewis and Clark, the board game, which came out last year. It's designed by the same individual whose name I always butcher, Cedric Chabousset. Sorry, Cedric. I know I'm getting that wrong. And then the artist, Vincent Dutra. And it looks a lot similar to the Lewis and Clark board game for a lot of reasons, because it has the same artwork. It has the same kind of aesthetic and feel. The game itself other than the part where you're going in that direction to the west, is not really the same. It is. It has a completely different mechanic. It has a different feel. It's quicker. It's a lot more streamlined and more to the point. The game itself takes about an hour or so, rather than the couple hours that the board game takes. And, you know, the little bit of fiddliness that comes with the board game, not necessarily here. And I love the board game, so you know, I'll leave the comparisons there. But the there's a lot between the two to compare, um, if only because you're getting the same theme. The game itself, though, is fairly straightforward. There's going to be a, uh area in front of everybody on the board where there are meeting areas for tribe cards and then a reconnaissance area for discoveries cards. And you're going to have a pool of dice of your own. And those dice are going to have a variety of different sides on them that allow you to do different things. As the game goes on, you are going to be trying to tribe cards as well as your own player board basically you're buying access to those on those different boards so that you can complete the discovery cards the whole theme of this game is that you're filling out a journal you know all the different things you discover along the oregon trail as it later became known and the different wildlife and plants and the various things you're finding as you go along majority of the points you score are going to be from those discovery cards there are a couple of other ways to get points however uh, there are teepees printed on various cards that as you purchase those cards, you will accumulate teepees. The person with the most teepees is going to get more points at the end of the game. There are also animal icons on some of the discovery cards. And if you get a set of those animals, the larger the set is, the more points you get. Getting a set of all four of those animals is actually extremely hard because the deck runs out pretty fast. You get rewarded comparably with quite a few points if you get that full batch the individual who gets all those different uh, animals is probably going to have a pretty good chance of winning the game. I'm pretty sure in the game we played, I won and had the, the batch of four. But there are enough other ways to score points, and you usually don't score any points off of the discovery cards with the animals on them. So it balances out 
fairly well. And just because of how hard it is to get all four, I don't think that's a problem necessarily. The game itself flows very quickly, though. The one thing I find very interesting about this, however, is that unlike a lot of dice game where you roll your dice and then take them back and roll your dice and then take them back, and maybe you get a few new dice um, as you go along, you're buying them, you're adding them to your pool, this game lets you use other people's dice because as you use a die, you're going to place it in the central part of the table um, on that main board, and either on the left side or the right side with the meeting area or the reconnaissance area. And at any time, any of the players can use their action to take all of the dice that are in one of those two areas. And so if it's been a while, one of those two areas might have 10 dice in it from all the different players at the table. The other interesting thing, though, is that at any time, you can also use an action to take back all of your own dice, and they're all color-coded. So if you're blue, you can say, okay, I want back all the blue dice that are on the table. And if somebody else has used one and has it locked down somewhere, you snag it off their board. So using other people's dice is super risky if there's a chance that they're going to take it back from you in the very immediate future. If there's not, however, there is a uh, almost push-your-luck element here where you can get a ton of extra dice that allow you to do a ton of extra actions in the very short term. That was a very cool thing to me. I really love that mechanic because it makes it very different and it really amps up the interaction between you and the other players. This was a fun game. I had I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was very intrigued with it when it was announced because uh, I did like Lewis and Clark a lot, but I have trouble getting it to the table. Not everybody is as intrigued by the theme and then combined with the playtime that often turns off the table to wanting to pull that one out. But a sub one hour dice game, regardless of theme, awesome. I'm from, you know, full disclosure, I'm from uh, Seattle. So this is actually a theme that I find more interesting because it's something we study in school, you know, starting at age, you know, seven. So I know all about the history of these individuals and their trek and all the different things that happened and kind of the areas that they explored. I have a lot of fun with it, reading the cards and going through the flavor text, but the game itself is also very good. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to say it's a buy, honestly. It's, it's a good game. It's a unique dice game. If you like Lewis and Clark, the board game, you'll like this because it has enough of the same elements. If you like dice games and you like kind of building you know, your own tableau based on the, those kind of dice games, I think you'll like it based on that as well. So very strong game. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I thought Discoveries was a lot of fun when we got to play it together. And I wasn't the hugest fan of Lewis and Clark, even with, you know, all the Krakens and all that, even that I still didn't really get into it. Discoveries was much easier for me to get into, partly because, you know, I love chucking dice around. I love tableau building. And this has a good bit of all of that involved. Uh, and it's just a very quick game to pick up. You, I think we spent maybe five minutes on the rules, and then you just sort of get it, and you move quickly. Uh, uh, the uh, only thing really is to always shoot for the double completions, not single completions. That's my only advice. Uh, but as far as whether or not it's worth playing or buying, I, w- I would put it as a very strong play. It's almost entirely inoffensive. I can't really think of what someone might not enjoy about this game. It may not be standout best in class, but there's nothing wrong with it. Consider me a borderline play-by. For me, it was a much different story. I did like the game, but the more I played it, the more I wish I was playing Lewis and Clark. And I think what I found most surprising was when I heard that this game was coming out and with the recent kind of outpouring of blank 
the dice game, whatever that may be, like Roll for the Galaxy, I was kind of expecting that this game would replace or at least stand at the same level as Lewis and Clark. I didn't find that to be the case. It was a fine game. It was nice. It was, as I guess Daniel said, like unoffensive. I didn't dislike anything about the game, but I did keep feeling like, man, I really wish I could play Lewis and Clark right now. That's probably the highest praise I could say about this dice game. It was just okay. It was just completing these very simplistic cards where it shows you how many rivers or how many mountains you have to cross. The artwork is really beautiful. There's some really nice pieces of artwork here and collecting the cards to give you special abilities and then being able to roll the dice to activate those abilities is really a nice kind of feel to it. But beyond that, I just really miss Lewis and Clark again. So if this is a play, it's the lightest form of play. And if Lewis and Clark can possibly hit the table instead of Discoveries, I'm going to dodge this and play Lewis and Clark, honestly. Yeah, and I think that might be the one thing that it has against it, is that it has the same theme and the same artwork and the same designer as Lewis and Clark. So if somebody's played one and they want to play a more strategic game, they're going to be disappointed. I think that's a problem for the marketing of the game. I feel like if you want to play you know, a heavier game, you should absolutely play Lewis and Clark. It's almost unfortunate because I think this is a solid dice game, very accessible and easy to teach. And because it has the same theme, people are going to compare the two and probably find this one lacking in, in those areas. Um, but they're very different games strategically and functionally. So if you can divorce the two, think about it as as its own thing, separate from the board game, I think it stands alone a little bit stronger. Uh, but, you know, to Chris's point, if you are looking at those two games together and you play both of them and enjoy them, yeah, I would go with the board game too. That's interesting, I, because I'm, I'm the other way around, which is if I were playing Lewis and Clark, I'd want to play Discoveries. And, you know, I'm, I'm still on, you know, I'm still borderline on it. I'd still play maybe by... And it is unexceptional in a lot of ways. Straight up dog, Lewis and Clark. I'm not a not a big fan of that game. So maybe it's Lewis and Clark for people who don't like Lewis and Clark. So the game that I got to the table this week and Daniel joined me was Arcadia Quest Beyond the Grave. Now this is a cool mini or not game. And if you haven't played Arcadia Quest, it is another campaign game. It's a dungeon delve, Dungeons and Dragons type of world. But it has these absolutely amazing miniatures. It's these chibi miniatures. But the detail here, while cutesy, is still pretty fierce. So in this expansion, it's a big box expansion, but you still do need the base game. You are fighting against the undead that has come back and is now evading Arcadia, trying to take over. So... It's a little different than the original, which had more of a, a, a little slightly kind of cutesier theme where you had all these orcs. Now you have all of this undead, and the undead has an undead look. So you got like little miniatures with their brain sticking out or, or a knife sticking out of their back. But beyond that, it's very, very much the same game. So it's more of the same, but it does add some additional elements. So in this game, you're going to have these fierce and these outstanding big miniature leading the undead is the dread king he's come back to life thanks to dr spider the rule book here and the artwork and pretty much everything in this game is tremendously thematic and once again cool mini or not has done a great job here 
and communicating the theme. Now, in this expansion, a couple of things are different. First off, you're going to start off with a sickle, which is a new card in the game that gives you two melee attack and a reroll. There's also huge characters in this game. And when I mean huge, there is a huge character that's going to take up the whole spot. So nothing else is going to be able to fit there. There's also another mechanic as far as banishment. So now your hero characters can be banished to the spawn locations, not dead, but at least delayed until that spawn location fills up and then they'll get sent back. There's some additional creatures here such as ghosts that are able to attack you even though there's a wall between you because pretty much that's what ghosts do. It's very much like the original Arcadia Quest with some additional theming, some undead creatures, some tombstones, these RIP cards. When you land on them, you can take an action point to flip these over and that gives you some additional effects, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But beyond that, it has the same campaign mechanic where you're completing three of the out, two of the inside, and then one final massive kind of knockdown, drag out quest. It plays up to four players. And I gotta say, I really enjoyed this game. At first, I was a little standoffish. I saw this on Kickstarter and I was like, this is a lot of minis. This is a lot of cash. I already picked up Rivet Wars. Why would I want to pick up another game like this? And honestly, for me, what I really enjoyed about this game is not just the theme, but the gameplay was so nice and simple and sweet. You're basically just choosing one character to activate. You're either moving three spots or you're attacking, and then you're doing your dice rolls based upon your weapons and your special abilities. And what's really fun here is everyone gets three characters, so the three characters can actually work together with their special abilities and their weapons, so you get some amazing combos going. So Arcadia Quest Beyond the Grave, this is an outstanding game. This is a buy. If you haven't had a chance to pick it up yet, pick up the original set and then jump over and pick up Beyond the Grave. Daniel, what do you think about this? Yeah, I really like Arcadia Quest. I'm a big fan of campaign games in general. Uh, I had a little bit of a rough start in getting used to things, but once I got a handle on it, I felt like there's really a lot of space in this game for it to open up and for you to build towards your own strategy through multiple iterations. I saw some people complaining about not being able to come back from early losses. Uh, so far, that hasn't been the case, I think, for us. I, I don't think it's going to be. We still have to finish our campaign, of course. But it's definitely a play. Like I, w I would certainly not turn away the chance to play it. It's a buy with the caveat that, one, it's, it's a bit pricey. Setup is a little bit fiddly. And there's a lot of rules to learn at first, but once you get them down, it, it flows like butter, right? It's incredibly smooth. Uh, so I definitely play it, probably buy it. I do think the uh, Beyond the Grave expansion added some really cool things. Probably pick that up too. And I know they've got a new expansion coming out soon called Inferno, right? Yes. Uh, and we got to play a little bit of that at Gen Con, actually. Now that I know more about how the game works in general, I would definitely suggest picking up inferno it looks amazing so not just by the ones we're talking about now also by the one that hasn't come out yet uh it's it's a great deal of fun it's well worth it uh, and it deserves the attention it gets anthony you got a chance to play this right the inferno bit with you guys at gen con a little bit i have not played the base game nor have i played beyond the grave yet but i've played this core i mean I'm sure the idea is the same of <laughs> Arcadia Quest. You're beating each other up. You're beating up monsters, which was awesome. <laughs> the Inferno bit, like, 
to Daniel's point, is really cool. It kind of takes that same element, and we talked about that a little bit before, um, when you talked about Kraken, from uh, the Lords of Waterdeep, Skullport, where you can do some really cool stuff. Yes. You're going to take a little bit of this potentially horrible, horrible curse Yes, um, with the Inferno points. When we played the game Gen Con, I took on, I don't even know how many Inferno points to one of my characters, <laughs> like 12? You're still burning right now, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a little smoky. <laughs> it was not good, but it was fun. That was the best part. Is, And that's what everybody says about Arcadia Quest, is regardless of what you do, it's just fun to do it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. This game is... It doesn't require a lot of thinking. It doesn't require a ton of strategy, although you can if you want to. Sure. It's just go around and hit some stuff with these awesome-looking miniatures on this awesome-looking board. And each of these new big box expansions adds something new, which, to be honest, I think the game needs. is you know The base game by itself doesn't necessarily have enough to hold your attention indefinitely, but these new mechanics are awesome. So I'm excited. It's Probably something on my radar for the future. All right, so that's the games hitting our table this week. And now, BGA's feature review. So for our feature review this week, we wanted to take a look back at the last year, let you know what's changed a little bit about us, but especially what games, even after a year of playing a tremendous amount of games... What do we still come back to? What game do we love? What has been that game that again and again we keep pulling out and hitting the table? But more than just that, we also wanted to talk about which episode really spoke to us about the board gaming industry and hopefully spoke to you a little bit. So with that said, we're going to talk about our favorite game from the last year and our favorite episode from the last year. Daniel, why don't you start us off? So the my favorite game from this last year, both released in this last year and released in America, and that I played in this last year is probably Tragedy Looper, uh, which is itself a tragedy. Uh, <laughs> I looped back around there because <laughs> when we played through it, it ended it rather quickly. But this is the, for me, the game equivalence of, you know, in the movies, they have that thing where, like, the high school, nerdy high school guy is sitting at his desk and he looks up and you see that girl walk in and, like, it's slow mo's and, like, they start playing like, he's my character. Right. That's the game version of this for me, which is all that had to happen was the rules of play were explained to me, and I was in love. Right. It is, deduction games are something I traditionally liked. Like, I like that mechanic, but I've had a lot of trouble finding games that implement it well, well enough for me to get into, right? I didn't really like Letters at Whitechapel that much, but I do like the mystery, like, figure-it-out kind of play. And Tragedy Looper gives you just so many things to do, so many different possible scenarios, so much to puzzle through, and such a unique twist on it that it's an irreplaceable game. I am... Yeah, I'm absolutely in love with this game. It's probably on my new Essentials list. I didn't ever have a, a category for a deduction. I haven't played Alchemist yet. Maybe it'll unthro- uh, unseat it. But right now, Tragedy Looper is both my favorite deduction game, uh, my favorite time travel game, and possibly just... I mean, it's in my top five right now. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Tragedy Looper has to be one of my favorite games, not just of the last year, but ever. Is that a new rating, Daniel? The cherry pie rating? The cherry pie. <laughs> cherry pie. 
So uh, breaking out of the loop, uh, as for my favorite episode, it's a really hard one, right? So, you know, Kim and Cyclades, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I know we're supposed to mention one. I'm, I'm going to cheat anyway. I'm going to mention two. Uh, <laughs> was the first one I felt like I was really, like, in. in. Like, it was my, like, I began the year here. It was a lot of fun. But, and quotable, if I do say so myself, but probably my favorite episode of the last year was our gaming controversy episode. Because it's a really... It's just a weird topic. It didn't really fit into any clean uh, segments. And it's not something that gets talked about a lot elsewhere. But I think we managed to not just handle it well. And I thought it was going to be, all right, this is going to be a dry episode. No one's going to want to listen. But I found as we got going, we really had a lot to talk about. And it flowed very naturally. And at least given the, the feedback we got, it was a you know the kind of episode people really enjoyed listening to too, which just goes to show that when you're interested in something, right? People are interested in listening to you most of the time, uh, and you know on, on top of that, it's just an important topic, right? To think about things like racial depictions and gaming and that sort of thing. And we've actually kind of touched on that again recently, but I'll I'll leave that for others to mention. Uh, so yeah, I think the the gaming controversy episode, both because of its importance and more mostly because it snuck up on me, you know, it's one of those sat down and thought this is going to be a really dry academic conversation and ended up being a really involved and fascinating discussion of what I think are some of the most important considerations to to have in front of you when you're making a game or playing a game. Uh, so yeah, that was my favorite episode of this it, last year. All right. So Anthony, what about yours? Uh, so the, played so many games in the last year. I can't even. Uh, when we sat down to do this last year, um, we had I think thirty four ish episodes to dig through, and out of all those episodes, we had played about one hundred and twenty five games. So I had to dig through about one hundred and twenty five games and figure out like, oh, what was my favorite game of the last year? And that was hard enough. This year, we went to the weekly schedule. And there were another 50-plus episodes. And out of those 50-plus episodes, we had almost another 200 games that we reviewed. Um, so it's bordering on impossible now. I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> but there's one game that I've come back to, I think, three separate times on the podcast, including on this episode about 25 minutes ago. <laughs> Um, and that's Imperial Settlers. I played this one, uh, we all played this one actually, just about a year ago, shortly after it came out at Gen Con, and I've been playing it ever since. I've played it probably 40 or 50 times at this point. Um, I've played through it solo dozens of times. I've played through it with the new expansion, with the Empire Pack. I'm looking forward to the new Empire Pack. I don't know, there's something about this game that just charms me. It's the, the combination of the artwork and the kind of the not goofy but just fun aesthetic and the fact that the various civilizations that they choose don't really make any sense in context with each other you actually have three real civilizations and then two others that are one of which is very generic and the other one's completely made up not made up per se but there's no proof that it existed and it's it all works together so well just because of the way the theme the theme works out and the game itself of course is a fantastic game so that you know as a basis for this wonderful world that Ignacy's building, uh, the game is solid and it's fun and it works really well, not only with a group of people, but it's a solo game. So it's 
probably my favorite game of the last year. It's certainly the game I've played the most in the last year. And it's a game that I can still sit down with my son and he will gladly truck all those massive piles of components over to me whenever I need them each round. Um, Imperial Settlers, awesome game. All right, so the second part of this, my favorite episode of the last year, this was also really hard for me because we did so many awesome episodes. If you've been around with us for a while, you know that the format switched a little bit about a year ago. Um, little, Not quite a year ago. But we used to do basically you know, a feature game review every every week or every two weeks, along with our regular acquisition disorders and at the tables. And we've kind of switched that up a little bit with, you know, more discussion-based topics. Um, we have our uh, If You Like Try, we have the Versus series, we have the uh, BGA Court, and a handful of others that we've tried, and a lot of them have done really well, and they're fun to do because we get to kind of talk about the hobby. But the one that really struck out to me as the most fun and really, this goes back all the way more than a year ago to when we did our World Cup of Fantasy Games, is this heavily thematic, super borrowed slash stolen idea from the sporting world of, you know, a bracket or tournament of games, which a lot of people do, but it's still fun to do uh, in our own special way with each other and, you know, the games that we think should win. That was the uh, Tabletop Madness series we did back in March. Now, this was actually, like, a big production. We did the first two rounds on a blog post. We did the third round as a full episode. We did the fourth round as a full episode. And then we did the finals, which we had you guys vote on, on the website. So you actually got to choose from the top four games who the finalists would be, and then from the two finalists who the winner would be. And the winner was Dead of Winter, if you have, uh, well, you can go to the website and it's, you can see it. it's right there. Spoiler. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's it was so much fun to put that together and to kind of time it and everything and to talk about all these games in context of each other. And it it really worked well. And we also got to kind of get into character a little bit and, you know, poke a little fun at the fact that we're not supposed to say certain things of certain types of madness at certain times of year. Mm. To me, that's a lot of fun. I also very much enjoy the discussions we have together about the hobby, but getting to kind of uh, put more of a production together around it, too, is a lot of fun. Okay, Drew, what about you? Me, my turn. Well, you know, wasn't it about a year ago when um, we became caretakers of sorts of um, the game collection of John McCallion and his late wife, Robin King? And I came across a game just the other day that, that, triggered something in me we played it about a year ago right around the time of our first anniversary and i really wanted to get that out i love that game so much it's coliseum now it's not a it's not a recent game we played it a year ago it's from 2007 days of wonder wolfgang kramer and marcus lubke designed it it's it's a tremendous game. It's also tremendously expensive right now to get. So if you have a copy, you're lucky. Because it has a number of different mechanisms in it that blend well together. A, an auction as well as a trading aspect. It's got a little bit of the roll and move for uh, you old timers out there. You're trying to create an entertainment to make the the leaders of Rome, not just the people of Rome, but the, the, the emperor and the senators... You want them to come to your show more so than everybody else's show. So it has a little bit of European feel in that everybody's creating their own uh, spectacle, their own show. But it's got a lot of Ameritrash uh, head-to-head competition because we're all going after a very limited number of resources. And 
there's a period every round where we're trading. We're desperate to try and complete our show, so we're trying to make deals with other players and outbid them for certain uh, certain items. A lot of interaction, surprisingly, for a Euro game. It also has a wonderful catch-up mechanic in that uh, even though there's uh, four rounds, I think, there's a number of shows you're putting on, you only keep the highest score. Your scores do build from round to round as your shows get bigger, but you could be doing really poorly in the early rounds, but if you're able to really put together quite a spectacle and lure some big names to come see it, you could win the game just from that one show you put on in the last round to put on a good show early because you can build on it, but you can also come from behind. Great scoring mechanic uh, that I love. Um, it's one of the few fiddly games that I would really be willing to, to bring out and set up and play it out. It's just fascinating. I love it. Unique in so many different ways. It's Coliseum by Days of Wonder, I hope. The episode that I enjoyed um, was one that I did with Chris at the beginning of the year, where we sort of laid out our predictions for the year ahead. That was a lot of fun, Chris, even though more of your predictions have come true so far than more of mine. <laughs> we still have a couple more months, true. Yeah, and I look forward to doing it again uh, at the beginning of 2016. Seeing what uh, is ahead for the following year. All right. Sounds great. So talking about the last year, there's been so many games. Now, Anthony gave you a broad account, but those are just the games, but not the replays of the games. And there's always something new that we discover in a game that we've played previously. So for my favorite game of the year, it's really hard to narrow it down. I really enjoyed Bora Bora, a Stefan Feld game. It's hard not to gush about it, but that's not the game. I can also talk about the Palaces of Carrera, another great Euro game that has not been released widely in the U.S. yet. But that's not a game I'm not talking about either. The game that I'm talking about was a surprising game for me, and that's got to be Rococo. Now, this game only recently has a little bit wider distribution in the U.S. I was able to pick this up on a Kickstarter thanks to Anthony. And what's interesting about Rococo, if you haven't played it yet, and we've talked about this previously, is, first off, it's about making dresses. And <laughs> it's amazing, this, this idea of all these different pieces of art and music, all these ordinateness to a Euro game. You don't typically see that. It's usually very bland and drab and... You know, early Middle Ages and everyone's in rags. But here are people in the, the best attire possible. And you are putting together these outstanding dresses and dress coats. And what's beyond that theme, what really kind of catches me is two things. First off, in most games, if you are the first player, you either have this major advantage or on some level, maybe the other players are given a token or two, but still you're getting the first choice. But here in Rococo, what's great about this game is that while everything is open to you as the first player, everything is also more expensive to you. So some of the decisions that have to be made as a first player are so much more different than the decisions in any other game that you get to be the first player. Usually it's just the pick of the litter here. You do get the pick of the litter, but it's really going to change your strategy a lot because you're putting out a lot of money. 
Now, you do have a marketplace, kind of like Suburbia, where these different design patterns are available. It tells you what cloth is needed, if thread or lace is needed. It has a little marketplace, kind of like Fresco, where you have to pick up certain fabrics and certain materials. And then it has a area where you're picking up certain character abilities that will give you special powers in this game. But what's really interesting about this game is the deck building mechanic. Because when you purchase a card, the card goes directly into your hand so you can play that card right at that moment. As your deck gets bigger, you have to think long term, where are you going to put those dresses? Are you going to turn them in for cash? Are you going to turn them in for victory points? Are you going to put a marker and pay the cost for musicians or statues or fireworks? Rococo plays with a wide range of people. It's a light light to medium weight euro, and it's an outstanding, beautiful, fun game. Now, for my favorite episode, once again, this is also, you know, trying to choose between your favorite children here. I'm going to go with our episode 85. This was uh. Best Games for Female Representation. Now, this episode just passed, and it was really hard to make a decision on this one. Did you forget about all the others? Is that why? You're just, you're just picking the one you remember because you forgot. <laughs> well, actually, in fact, this episode was something that I had talked to Anthony about for at least a year. Wow. Um, I've been very blessed to have so many female gamers in my life, friends, family, girlfriends, and you know, to be able to sit down at the table with them and to break out a brand new game and to say, you get to choose from any one of these outstanding characters and then to see the look on their face where it's all these big hulking dudes and nothing else, or they have female characters, but it's the same stereotypical roles over and over again. And typically they're the weakest, cheapest, worst characters in the game. So when I go out to purchase games, I'm looking for a game that has a great diversity, it has strong female representation, and it has character powers that fit, not just with the theme, but fit with the ability and skill that women bring to the world. So this episode was great for us. We all kind of contributed to make a list of the best games, but that wasn't it. That list is good. But it, it kind of shows that there's a glaring problem in our industry that there aren't enough strong female character representations in board gaming right now or any type of tabletop gaming. And if we want to grow the hobby and if we want to remind men that women do outstanding things and to give men an opportunity to play strong female characters, designers and publishers need to pay attention to this and need to add more of these outstanding female representations in gaming. Yeah, so next year we want to do this episode again, but we want a longer list to draw from next year. Absolutely. Let's see some new great games out there. All right. All right. So that is our second year birthday. The Terrible Twos were not terrible. They were outstanding. You got some brand new games to take a look back. You got some episodes to take a look back. If you haven't got a chance to listen to them before, or if you have listened to them before, please let other people know what's going on there in the board game and industry by pointing out our podcast to them. As I said at the beginning of the episode, we have, we've been so glad that you've joined us for these past two years, and only bigger and better things are to come, so stay tuned. And now, our final round. Well, we've got one final round to finish out. 
the second year and to start off our third year. It's Labor Day weekend. Follow me on my chain of thought here, guys, okay? Remember, it wasn't that long ago, the Jerry <laughs> Lewis Labor Day telethons for muscular dystrophy, and he would stay up for 24 hours. It made me think of the Extra Life fundraisers um, that promote that, and Anthony, you and Chris have done that, stayed awake for 24 hours playing games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I stayed awake for 25 hours. Chris didn't? He might have dozed off a little. Oh, <laughs> but I was caffeine free the entire time. Oh wow! That's which, true. I was not caffeine. Which was so, a tragic error. <laughs> so I'm creating a what if here. What if we had to do a 24 hour gaming marathon for charity, but we could only use one game? What game would that be that we could play for 24 hours without going mental? <laughs> My game I chose was K2. The reason why it's a very tension-filled game where you're trying to, to get up the mountain, bring your team up the mountain, and get back down safely uh, before everybody else. There's no guarantee that anybody's going to make it back down. You can all be wiped out uh, by weather. So there's a certain amount of tension, and yet it's not so overwhelmingly tense that you're exhausted after one or two games and you can't continue. There's just enough of this feeling like, Ugh, the weather was against me. I got to play this again. I got to try it one more time. I always want to go back and play another game and conquer that mountain or, or at least survive longer than the other players. Um, you have a little bit of, of foresight in knowing what the weather will be a little bit ahead. So there's always a chance to plan very little uh, randomness. It's just careful planning, keeping an eye out for the other guys, uh, knowing when to take risks there are two sides to the board, a harder and easier, so you can vary it a little bit. Um, I think I could take that game through 24 hours and play it enough times that I could win at least once. That's all I want to do is win it once. How about you guys? What could you do for 24 hours? Well, I don't know. I'd probably fall asleep, to be honest. <laughs> is it cheating if I say D&D, though? So I've actually played a 12-hour session of D&D without wow, okay. like, stopping for any long period of time. We ate at the table. We played from – it's actually a little bit longer than 12 hours. Played from maybe 8 o'clock at night until 9 in the morning the next day. And it's the overnight part that's the really hard part. So I feel like I could have done 8 to 8 of that, of D&D, or most any good role-playing game I could do that for. So uh, that will probably be my answer if that's – I don't know. Is that cheating? Is that too obvious? No, no. Hey. Okay. Uh, Stay awake for, for 24 hours. That's all you got to do. Yeah, I mean, I'll be totally nonsensical by the end of it. <laughs> and my character's moves will involve things like summoning a house and going to sleep and not coming out. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> Anthony, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I know I could stay awake, but how coherent will I be? <laughs> That's the question. I think it's got to be a game that takes a long time to play and has different angles at which you could attack attack it from. So for me, I'm going to go with War of the Ring because the one time we played like a full epic to the very end game of this, it took about five or six hours and there's two very, very asymmetrical sides. So you could play two times on either side over 24 hours for four games total. And you're, you're through, yeah. There you go, yeah. It's And by the fourth time, you know, you're going through the story again. You don't have to think about it. Everybody knows the story of Lord of the Rings. Just get the stupid ring to the mountain. You could do that. 
<laughs> and that's probably how the conversation would go by the fourth. <laughs> Just get the stupid ring. Right. Chris, what would keep you awake for 24 hours? Well, I think like everybody said, you have to go with the delirium and the paranoia and the sudden mood swings, you know, into hour 20. So the game that I would want to play for 24 hours would be Diplomacy. Because I think if there's anything that could possibly keep you up that long and that engaged would have to be a game that was about taking over the world, being backstabbed by your friends that are surrounding you, and just the ongoing conspiracies and plot twists in this game is enough that probably keeps you awake, but definitely going to put you on edge. Oh. <laughs> And that's diplomacy, if you can survive it. And if you don't, it's even better, because then you can go to sleep. <laughs> Blood will had... be spilled. Blood will be spilled, man. I had that on my short list, and I told Anthony that, and he just he groaned. I, I, I could hear him shaking his head over the internet. You're, just, you're causing yourself psychological damage. Like 24 <laughs> hours of diplomacy, come on. <laughs> and you'll never speak to those people ever again. Oh, Guaranteed. Well, Hey, you've raised your money. You're done. That's all you need to do. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and that is our final round for our final episode of year two and our first episode of year three. So that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, and especially our Patreon account. We're really looking forward to bringing you year three of BGA and your support helps us out so much with that. Please rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Until then, this is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And even after two years, we're still waiting for you to join us at the table. Seriously, you gotta hurry up. I mean, it was long after the first year, and there was dust on the chair. Now it's just getting embarrassing. I don't want to say anything, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs>